Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Consulting with Authority. This is your host, Scott Cantrell. I am joined today by a colleague and someone I would consider a friend by now. We've had enough conversations, uh, Mr. George Grumbacher. Uh, George is um, listed as a top 100 financial advisor for the third year in a row by Investopedia. That's pretty impressive if you ask me. He's also the founder of Money Alignment Academy and the host of the Lifeblood podcast, George, I really appreciate you uh, taking some time uh, to speak to our group, our group today. Yeah, well, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. Excellent, excellent. And for those of you who are frequent viewers on the video version of our podcast, you may notice that my background is a little bit different today. So there's some uh, some work going on downstairs. Uh, and that's put me up here in our, our spare office. So hence the gray void behind me. Um, George, I want to uh, just begin. There's a lot of stuff that I want to tap into. And you're actually the first person um, on the podcast out of about, I don't know, 60 or so guests that have your area of expertise. And so um, uh, I definitely want to dive into learning more about what a small business owner needs to think about from a financial planning or advisory stamp, you know, advisory standpoint who to listen to, who not to listen to, all those good stuff. So that's where we're going to spend the meat of our time. But to get there, tell us a little about your background, your origin story, how you came to be a top 100 financial advisor, how Money Alignment uh, Academy came to be in your world. Yeah, I appreciate that. So I grew up in northern Minnesota, um, which is a great place to grow up. I was born and raised in a, in a I guess you would say, a middle-class household. Uh, my mom was a single mom. She's a school teacher. And we had enough money to go around, but not a lot of extra money to go around. Mm-hmm. Um, somehow managed to, to get into tennis and tennis taught me an immense amount. So it's kind of weird that as a 43-year-old person, I, I talk about uh, playing tennis as a kid, but it taught me so many important lessons. I think most importantly, how to set a goal for something and then really single-mindedly focus on it and work really hard. Um, to accomplish it and to figure out how to make it happen. So that brought me um, to Valparaiso University. I wanted to play D1. I wanted a scholarship. I wanted to go to a good school outside of a, of a big city. And that was Valparaiso, where I studied political science. Had no idea what I wanted to do. Just thought, if I do that, then I can go to law school and I'll be able to wear a suit and make money and be in a respected profession. Literally had no idea what an attorney did. Uh, graduated and made the decision. I wanted to move to Arizona because I was tired of water freezing naturally. My dad <laughs> right, had been right. in Arizona for a long time. So growing up, I would visit. So moved down here and really thought I'd go to law school still. Thought I took a year off and applied to ASU or something like that. Went to my fraternity's alumni meeting, met a guy. He said, oh, come talk to me about New York life. I said, sure, why not? I got nothing else going on. So I became a New York life agent um, all told, I am now a retired New York Life agent, spent 10 years with the company, seven years as an agent slash financial services professional, three years in management with them. And um, so that was a wonderful experience. I'll just sort of give you the cliff notes. After that, after I retired from the, I don't want to use too much industry lingo, but I think people probably get it if you're a consultant. Um, uh after I retired from the more corporate broker dealer right. insurance company kind of environment, I looked around, I said, where do I really see myself fitting into financial services, if at all anymore? And I decided I wanted to focus on the world of uh, institutional retirement plans, 401ks, because 
when you look at that, you recognize how much we struggle, we as Americans struggle to save money. And because that is our primary place for saving money, specifically for retirement, I thought, well, that looks like a big opportunity here. Mm-hmm. And I, I found it to be really complicated and opaque in terms of the fee structure and how much stuff cost and how it all worked. And that didn't make any sense to me. And so I saw just, just a ton of opportunity. So for the past 10 years, 11, 12 years at this point, I, as, as you mentioned, I own and operate an independent RIA. So I own and operate my own financial firm that does 401k plans for companies. And when you do that, you recognize again that there's that big need. And so I started a financial wellness company six years ago before that was the most popular thing in the world to do, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, just with the desire to help people to get better at money so they can live how they want. So um, that's kind of it in a thumb, uh, in a nutshell, thumbshell? Nutshell. That's right. (laughs) Kind of in a nutshell. just to totally close the loop, I started listening to podcasts in 2014, fell in love with them. So mm-hmm. I started a podcast for fun in 16 with a buddy, learned how to do it. And then I started Lifeblood in 2018. Mm-hmm. And today we've done over 1,500 episodes. We Amazing. do it every day. Um, and that's, that's, that, that's, that's been a real joy and probably a lot for us to talk about. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. In a nutshell, um, you know, we talked about lifeblood briefly, and this is a conversation for offline. I won't, won't go too deep into this right now. I don't think I realized you record every day. Or I mean, every week. We, we, we release episodes every day. I record okay. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Okay. You guys are rocking it out, man. That's great. Okay. That's a conversation for later. I'd love to pick your brain some on that. All right. Uh, nevertheless, thank you for the uh, the background and the origin story. Um, tell me a little bit about the nature of the advisory practice. Do you have, um, so there's two aspects of sort of the financial side of what you're doing. There's the advisory practice, the 401k planning aspect. Then there's the financial wellness piece. These are, these are divisions within the same firm. Uh, I think I can use that word safely. Um, tell me about on the 401k space, who your target market is. And if it's the same as on the Money Alignment Academy space, then, then that's your market. Tell us who you're serving. Yep. They are separate companies. Mm-hmm. So the, the financial wellness uh, platform is not a financial product. It's not gotcha. affiliated with, with the financial firm. So gotcha. that's just two, different two separate deals. Yep. And I, I live and work in Arizona. And while I do have clients in, I think, 12 other states, the bulk of my clientele is in Arizona. And we are a community of small business. So mm-hmm. I, uh, I serve companies with employees that are less than 500 um, employee count uh, for the 401k business. I'm not opposed to taking on larger groups. It's just sure. that is how my business has, um, has shaken out at this point. Mm-hmm. With Money Alignment Academy, um, I do have the opportunity and do speak to much larger groups, just talking about financial wellness, you know, everything from making it through tough economic times to how to put together a budget to how do you understand what Bitcoin is. I've got about 15 different talks that I give pretty regularly. And I also do financial coaching through mm-hmm. Money Alignment Academy. So it's it's a it's a relatively new subset of providing financial input to people. Yeah. 
Um, and that's a whole nother conversation as well, but I've done that for really big companies. And um, so I guess the shorter answer to a short question was that for the 401k business, I deal with smaller companies for Money Alignment Academy. Um, I've, attend, I've tended to work with bigger organizations. Understood. Understood. Okay, good. And in terms of, um, let's go to the Money Alignment Academy side of things, because I think this model in particular could be very uh, enlightening and not to say that somebody's going to go start a financial wellness company. Although, like you said, when you did it, it was novel. And today there, it's not as novel. Um, but I think, I think you're safe with this group largely. Um, in terms of the scope of it, how did, how did you, what, it, what is Money Alignment Academy? How does it function? Um, sort of what's the structure of it? That type of thing, because I think the model could be uh, appropriate for certain advisors and consultants to think about what they do and, uh, and applying it in, in a similar model to what you have. Yeah, I a thousand percent agree with that. I think that anytime that you are interested in messaging to a large number of people and trying to make an impact that way, it's scaling your expertise. That's mm-hmm. really essentially what it is. Um, so I do think that if you were a personal trainer or whatever, it doesn't, it, I don't think it really matters. I, I, I think that it is very appropriate. One of the things I liked about 401k is that I've, I recognized a long time ago that there's so much power in community, mm-hmm. in, in a shared a group of people coming together with some kind of an affinity. And that's why I like working with associations. That's why I like working with companies. And these days we get so many of our benefits through our employer anyway, that adding financial wellness uh, just seemed like a no brainer. I started it because I would be going and doing these in-person meetings is before Zoom was a thing for my 401k clients and just invariably, not everybody could be there or there were a lot of different locations. So I thought, well, why don't I record these so that people can watch them if they choose to watch them at a later date? And I thought, oh, you know what? I could just start, you know, creating just little, 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 little video segments. And I thought, oh, I could start making courses. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it, 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 that's how it started. So as you mentioned, for people who are trying to leverage themselves, which is something that we're all trying to do and to, to, to gain leverage, to create additional sources of income that are more passive than they are active. That's a big part of what I'm trying to accomplish with Money Alignment Academy. Obviously, I'm trying to help people to, to accomplish their financial goals right. um, while doing that for a lot of different people. So there's something called self-determination theory, and there's three key components to that. Essentially, what self-determination theory is trying to do, it's trying to tap into and figure out how can you really empower people to take full ownership of whatever they're doing, whatever change they're trying to make, and get them to be fully engaged while doing it? And they figured out that there's three key things that need to be present. There needs to be a competency factor, which means people need to feel like they're going to be able to gain mastery. So in terms of financial stuff, they need to be able to get resources. They need to learn the critical things about budgeting and investing and insurance and taxes. And obviously there's a lot, yep. they need autonomy. So they need to be able to make decisions about how they want to learn. And so when I figured that out, I, I realized, okay, I need to be able to deliver more than just online courses. And so I started just doing consistent um, webinars that are live, that 
I'm right now I'm just doing one a month mm -hmm. that all of the member companies send their employees to. Mm -hmm. So that's a good opportunity for me to, to live be doing presentations on a topic that I'm able to select it, you know, a couple of weeks away. So right, right now we'd be talking about inflation just because that's what's going on in, in the world. So it's, I'm, I'm able to be timely with it. Um, then uh, I, I also do something called office hours and you could stop me if I'm sort of rambling on here, oh, this is good. but with, with um, what I've discovered is that so few people are ever going to interact with a financial advisor. 85% of people will never interact with a financial advisor. Interacting with a financial advisor is a really positive thing for people because so much of our, uh, of the way that we interact with money is just behavioral based. Yep. People don't need to be wowed. They don't need to become MBAs or be impressed by my knowledge. They need simple questions answered. And so that's where financial coaching is. And so I do monthly office hours and I do several of these where it's just an hour and it's set in advance. And anybody from my member companies can come and submit questions. It's, it's, it's a Zoom call. So they submit the question um, anonymously. So, and then I will answer the question and then they can ask their follow-ups through the chat, which sure. is anonymous. So it gives them the opportunity to directly interact with a financial professional in a way that's comfortable and that they wouldn't have before. Um, we do a book club also, and we have a handful of other interactive type things that, that we do. We do something called the Strive Online Bootcamp, where it's a two-week period where uh, the whole idea is detoxing your mind, body, and money. So organizations love that because it gives them the opportunity to plug that into what they're already trying to do from a wellness standpoint. So they'll do things like, you know, potlucks and bring lunch to work instead of going out to eat. They'll do walking meetings to, to foster healthy uh, exercise habits. Um, and there's a handful of those other things as well that I've tried to introduce that are more what just what I refer to as, as, as community. And so when you have all these things set up, it took a long time to get started. Um, in terms of the coursework, there's, there's 19 different courses that are also on the academy. And that took the longest time to sure. obviously create all of those and get them up there. But now it's, it's just a function of that. I'm just maintaining the thing. Mm -hmm. um, but before I forget, we, we, we also have an, an, an online community that lives on my learning management um, system where all the courses live that is just exclusive to Money Alignment Academy. So I used to have a Facebook group, but you know, not everybody likes to go on Facebook or is on Facebook. And so I moved that on to um, just an exclusive Money Alignment Academy. And that's an opportunity for people to then also go in and- That was above and beyond. And so as people are thinking about scaling their expertise, um, I, those are great notes. People need to be able to achieve mastery. They need autonomy. They need the community experience. And you built in elements that achieve all of those things um, in different ways. So people can, can exercise that. So from, a, from kind of a business structure of the program, we won't talk pricing or anything, but from a business structure of a program, a given company will pay a presumably a fee. Is this a monthly fee or an annual fee or a one-time fee? I assume it's ongoing in some shape, form or fashion, what sort of, don't give me specific numbers, but what sort of the breakdown of that structure? Yep. The company pays the annual tuition and all of their employees then have their own login and have access to the entire platform. 
and some pay annually. I do have some that pay monthly, but they pay every year. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Ongoing access. If you create a new course, presumably it goes on the Academy. They now have access to that. Obviously you're doing a lot of live uh, engagement as well, but to your point about scaling and leveraging yourself, you're not doing it one-on-one. As the group expands, you're still only investing one hour a month in that webinar. You're still only doing office hours, however many times you're doing it. You don't have to do more work as you add more people. So the program from a business standpoint becomes more productive and impactful because it's more people. At the same time, it also becomes more profitable for you. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's a great, I mean, it's a, it's, yeah, it's an excellent model. And and I think the the key takeaway there is, um, again, the, the why, why you structured it the way you did and why you have certain elements. Cause I know a lot of people say, well, I'll just, I'll just create a Facebook group and charge for access, or I'll just create a Slack community and charge for access. And that may or may not have a play or may or may or not be viable. But the thing is, that's that's one, that's only one way to engage. It's only one slice of opportunity in order to maximize the value and therefore maximize the retention, which now becomes as, as important or maybe even slightly more important than new client acquisition is the retention piece. You have to have these multiple modalities multiple ways of consuming the content, and then obviously fresh content that is, um, you know, always coming, always coming new each month. Good. Um, yeah, I think that that's a, that's a really important thing for sure. Um, and very few human beings would be interested in uh, creating as much content as I create, but <laughs> I am right now in a stage of my life where I just, I, I, I love doing it. Yeah. So I, I create a new podcast every day. And I also write a new blog post um, five days a week. So I'm just constantly creating new stuff and also new courses. Um, that's just sort of the mode that I'm in right now. That's good. That's good. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that, that is an important note that you mentioned because you are and you have been incredibly prolific with your content development and creation. And certainly there'll be a number of folks listening or watching who are the same, right? Incredibly prolific with their content libraries inventory. And there's going to be other folks who have have some, but have done, you know, little comparatively. And I think the note to them is, um, and maybe you can, you know, correct me if this is wrong or maybe further clarify this. My thinking is start where you are. All, you know, if you're going to do it this way, understand content creation is going to have to be a part of your process. You can't, it's not, I mean, I guess you could create a thing it is static. You sell access to the thing, but that's a different model than what you're what you're doing with Money Alignment Academy. That's a that's a set deliverable set course. For instance, you sell it for X, they get X, and that's it. In terms of your model, it is an ongoing community that pays ongoing in an ongoing way, recurring revenue. And I know that's where a lot of people want to go to. But if, even if they have a little bit of content now. My, my presumption is, as long as it's quality and as long as there's enough to help someone move the needle, that's fine to get started as long as they know they're going to have to continue to add more content over time. Yeah, 100%. I think that uh, to begin, begin. So yeah, right. and I started, there was one course and I started selling it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that was, uh, so yeah, but I think uh, to your point, you don't need to do it's, it's irrelevant really how much content that you're interested in doing mm. or that's really relevant. It doesn't matter if it's seven days a week or one piece of new content a month. You just need to be consistent with it and manage expectations. Gotcha. Understood. Understood. Um, 
Good. And obviously the value will be correlated, not necessarily to the amount of content, but to the quality of the content and to the problem that it's solving or the challenge it's overcoming or the opportunity it's taking advantage of. It's going to be correlated to the result or outcome you're producing in terms of value and therefore pricing. Yeah. Good. Um, this is excellent. That's a, that's a fantastic overview. Uh, and I'm, you know, now my own wheels are spinning in terms of, okay, how does this apply in my world? So anyway, thank you for that. Um, let's dive into uh, the world of Money Alignment Academy for a second, because I mentioned before the recording that if you're open to it, I'd love to kind of pull back your mind a little bit and talk about small, the, the kind of finances of small business. And maybe, I mean, no doubt you are a small business owner. You work with other small businesses. You have peers and colleagues and partners who are small business leaders and owners. No doubt all of them are at different places in terms of business maturity or financial capabilities or whatever it may be. And I'm sure, I'm certain that you have seen common challenges or common mistakes or common misconceptions about how a small business owner may think about the finances of their business. Maybe we start at a really high level and then we can kind of get closer and closer to the ground, start a philosophical level, then go to strategy, maybe in, even into some tactics as it's relevant. Um, philosophically, as a small business leader, and, and maybe people think differently, I know people think differently about money, but when you're consulting or doing financial coaching with an entrepreneur or a small business owner, how do you encourage them to think about either the finances of their business or how those finances of their business affect their own personal financial situation? Let's just sort of start at a philosophical level here. Yeah, there's a, a gentleman, named, gentleman named Mike McCallowitz, and he invented this thing called Profit First. I don't know if you're familiar with that or not. I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar directly with Mike, you know, in, in much detail. He's a, he's a pretty uh, pretty sharp guy. So I encourage people to, to, to look him up and check out Profit First. It is a very robust structure of, of how to uh, own and operate your business. I respect entrepreneurs immensely. I appreciate the challenges and the desires and everything else that goes along with being an entrepreneur. And I totally get why everybody says, I just put everything back into the business. I invest everything back into the business. And I have a hard time convincing people of that, of, of, of doing anything other than that. But the golden rule, the gold medal of personal finance is to pay yourself first. And so I like Mike McCallitz was Mike McCallowitz's process of profit first, it's the same thing. The reality is that if you are in the business of paying everybody else first and then waiting around to the end of the month or to when your business sells, there's not going to be any money left over for you. I don't know how many successful businesses out there actually ever have a capital event where they exit and they are set for the rest of their lives. I hope it's everybody. Mm -hmm. But what if? There's a million different things in between today and when that's going to happen in the future. Right. So if you can get in the habit of every month taking profit and taking that out of your business and putting it into some non-correlated asset, if it's an investment account or go buy real estate or whatever, I don't care about that. It's just a behavior that um, if you don't do that, you are maybe you are setting yourself up for business success but you're also leaving yourself and your family and your loved ones exposed to an immense downside, just, mm-hmm. just, just catastrophe. Gotcha. COVID comes along and, and it, it, it crushes your business, X, Y, Z, inflation, supply chain, whatever. You never know what's going to happen next. So as you are going, 
take some of that profit, take it out of the business and put it somewhere else. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that's kind of like prime directive, right? Rule number one in terms of business. And I would assume that there's not, you're not suggesting that there's a threshold for that. Even a, even a micro startup that's just getting started, you know, the first time you get the, that first check from a, from a client or consultant, some portion of it needs to go into, into that, like you said, non-correlated investment. Pay yourself first out of that, even if it's a tiny amount of money and make that the habit. And over time, assuming you're doing good work and building the value of your business, the number will increase. Well said. Okay. Okay. 100% right. Get ten, the habit ten, of doing that. Ten, $10 is $10, $100 is $100, $1,000 is $1,000, $100,000 is $100,000, $100,000. Whatever the number is for you, extract it and and keep doing it. It, it is easy to fall. I mean, I've been there before. And it, not in the new business because I learned the lesson. But in the previous business, um, we bootstrapped it for the first two or three years. Uh, and we we felt like we had to and we didn't want to borrow money. Um, and da, 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 da. Anyway, for a period of time, um, actually, we probably did it faster than a lot of people do. But after about six, eight, nine months, we were like, we can't continue to put 100% back in. We don't have to take 60% out, but we can't put 100% back in. And so we made that commitment with, with a business partner, made that commitment to each other and said, no, we're going it, to, it's going to start small, uh, but we have an intention of, of it growing. Make sure you're hearing me okay. Am I still coming through all right? Yes. Okay, good. For some reason, my, uh, my video stopped there, but we're back on now. Good. No, I think, I think what you just mentioned is, is, is excellent. Um, so philosophically, number one, pay yourself first. In terms, another trap that um, I think we did the antithesis of in my previous company, but I know a lot of people fall into the trap the other way, and that is trying to hire too fast. And, and maybe another, uh, that may be a symptom of it, but in terms of spend, it's, I, I, I feel like, and, and maybe this is the right way. I don't know. That's why I want to ask the question. The cap, the axiom, you gotta, you gotta have money to make money. And so I feel like I'm going to go start this consulting practice and I'm going to go borrow a bunch of money, or I'm going to run up the credit card. And I have such optimism because I'm an entrepreneur and that's in my DNA. I have such optimism that I know that I'll go land and I'll put a hundred thousand dollars in the credit card, or I'll go borrow it, you know, somehow. And I know that I'll get that paid back in 12 months or 18 months. It's not a big deal. And then I'll start. What is your perspective in terms of how to, it does take money. I mean, running a business requires, requires cash, requires cash flow. So it's not like you can start at zero and stay at zero. Right? Um, how do you how do you encourage? How would you encourage an entrepreneur or a small business owner to balance this idea of investing in growth with actual dollars, as opposed to with, with borrowed dollars, as opposed to self generated dollars? Yeah, that's that's a that's a super good question, super tricky one to answer. My silver rule, gold medal or silver medal rather, the the number two rule is to stay out of debt. Okay. Um, so that's, that's, that's for individuals yeah. because, you know, most individuals are crushed by credit card debt, they're living paycheck to paycheck. So yeah. it's not good for a yeah. business owner. Everything you said is hundred percent true. If you want to grow, it's going to take money. You can bootstrap it. It's just going to take way longer. Right. So once you have, you know, it, I, I sometimes I think about it, like if, if you're doing paid social media, if it, if it works, then you have an ATM. I think Russell Brunson said that from ClickFunnels. Right. Like if, right. if it works, then you have an ATM. 
If it doesn't, you're just flushing money down the toilet. Right. So if you have proven systems and processes, let's talk about hiring, hiring a salesperson. If mm-hmm. you know that following this step-by-step process will result in sales and you know your metrics, well, then by all means, start plugging salespeople onto that process. But unless you have all those systems and processes really well documented and laid out and you can teach that and then monitor and make sure that other people are going to follow them, well, then I think that you're hiring prematurely. We are in a time right now where where, uh, taking VC money or just outside investing seems like this very, very romantic thing because of Shark Tank and everything else. Well, I also think that we're going to be in a time where that's going to slow down dramatically. Um, and we might be forced to look for other means. If you can avoid using credit cards for anything, particularly if you're going to carry a balance, right. obviously do that. If you can get a line of credit from, from your bank, that is far superior. Um, and that's easier to pay off in terms of a small business loan or something like that. I don't have any experience there personally, so I, 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 I can't speak to it. Mm-hmm. But it's all about, let's make sure we have a proven concept first, because I am a quick start. I get super excited about things. I want to jump right into it. Mm-hmm. But a little bit of older age has taught me that I want to be a little slower. Um, instead of running down the hill, I want to walk down the hill um, and make sure that uh, I'm setting myself up for success in as many different ways as as I can first and yeah. making sure that I have good solid cash flow coming in first. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the the axiom, which... I never really bought, uh, I never really believed. And I know that some people, you know, abide by it, but I think it's, it feels like it's a temporary bandaid. And that is, you know, um, uh, volume of revenue hides a multitude of sins. Um, And that's easy. It's easy to accept that as a truth when there is a volume of revenue, when everything's going well, but at some point in the future, there won't be. And those multitude of sins, whether it's debt management or hiring too fast or not having solid processes to follow, those things will catch up with you sooner or later. And so um, from a business strategy standpoint, you know, finance part of it, my, my perspective, having done it, having done all the different ways, <laughs> uh, my perspective is that walking down the hill and making sure things are tight uh, within reason. I mean, we're still entrepreneurs, we're still gonna take risks. Uh, we're still gonna make messes that we have to clean up. That's the nature of, the, the nature of starting a business and running a business. But you want to mitigate the risks around those messes. You want to mitigate the risks around those things, which I think is kind of what you were getting at in terms of this, this measurement of, of whether you borrow money, you don't borrow money, how much. And, and what I wrote down was don't fool yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Be as objective as you can about your actual situation. And as entrepreneurs, as small business owners, I know it's true for me, I have a tendency of over up optimistically uh, estimating things. And that's good because if I didn't, I would never take the action. At the same time, I need someone, probably someone else, probably not something I can do on my own. I need someone else to temper me, whether that's a a financial, a business financial advisor or a business coach, or possibly even a spouse or a loved one, someone, some confident that I can trust who has some level of knowledge of me or, or expertise in that world to objectively say, Scott, I believe in you. I believe you can do it but let's mitigate against these extreme catastrophic risks that could, you know, that could bother you later. What's your, what is your perspective around this idea of getting objective advice um, and, you know, looking, looking to other people to help, you know, guide you. Obviously that, that runs the risk of, 
of tempering your dreams and goals. But um, I know that, you know, there's a bigger risk potentially of not. What's your perspective on that? Yeah, well, I, I think first that, that you're right on. You can't lie to yourself. You need to be the CEO of your personal finances as well as the CEO of your company and your company's finances. And would long-term, the most successful companies out there, would they be operating, would they be successful if they operated their business like you operate yours? Yeah. And probably not because we don't pay close enough attention. Alex Hermosi, who is a really up and coming entrepreneur, and he's really a smart person. He was just on Lewis's Lewis Howe's podcast, um, School of Greatness, talking about how when he was getting ready to sell his business, that they had to spend an entire year cleaning everything up. And he likened it to when you're getting ready to sell your house. Yeah, That's when you do all these fixes to it to maximize the value. So everybody is guilty of it. Even guys who are making $100 million a year, they still need to, oh, wow, I need to go back through and make sure that everything that I'm doing is proper and correct. Right. So why not just do that now? Let's go mm-hmm. through and make sure that our systems and our processes are all actually correct. And I didn't answer your question and I like to, but I forgot what it was. No, you, 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 you did. You did. The only uh, corollary that I was asking about was what is your thought on getting, you know, getting objective third-party advice and identifying someone in that role? Yeah, I I think it's immensely valuable, uh, but I don't get it enough personally. Yeah. Well, Um, I, yeah. I have a, I have a business coach that I use. I want to talk over you again. I have a business coach that I use. And um, I was fortunate enough to know this gentleman and sort of follow him over the last 20 years. And there, we reconnected after I exited in my previous, after I exited my previous company and started this one and the timing was just right on. So I had the benefit of, of working with a third-party expert and a business coach, basically when I had a blank page. Um, and that allowed me to, I felt I felt like I had the liberty and flexibility to use your metaphor of walking down the hill because I had the guidance and I knew that if I was walking in a straighter line, I'd get to my destination faster than if I was running in a zigzag. So um, and and I would spend a lot less time and effort and stress and so forth. So for me, it's been it's been immensely valuable. Uh, well, and th- this goes back to the point you were making about the importance of having a financial advisor too. Right. And we were talking about it in terms of the personal side, the individual side of things, but the correlation carries over perfectly to to business. I think that that we are so, especially if we are a newer entrepreneur or we have a newer business, we're so close to it. It's so Mm -hmm. personal to us. It's like a baby and we need to be willing. I forget who it was that said it. I think it was an artist or a writer. You need to be willing to kill your babies yeah. uh, and get rid of your ideas. And that's where having somebody who can be honest with you say, tell me again your idea. And then not that they want to punch holes in it, but you've got blind spots and, and you're just not seeing things necessarily rationally. So that's that's wildly important. I was just thinking about how I need to have some kind of an advisory board and how I structure that. And it would just be an investment. but like everything else, these are, these are investments and 
if I am to have one day a wildly successful company, I would have an advisory board. So why wouldn't I have that now? Right. It's just a matter of, you know, each new priority is going yep. to take up time, attention and money and resources. So how do you weigh those? Yeah, well, exactly. Well, you just asked, I think the, not the million, but the billion dollar question. And it's a question of resource allocation. And for entrepreneurs or solopreneurs, or even people that have a strong team around them, but it's a small team, there's still limit, there's always limited resources, right? There's never infinite resources. I mean, arguably even Elon Musk, based on the extent of the way his mind works and his dreams and his vision, even he has limited resources. So that never changes. It really becomes a question of, of asset allocation, time, money, effort. Uh, where is it going to go and what's the next priority? And everybody kind of has to make that determination on their own. So the more objective help you can get to make those right determinations, the better. I want to go one level more detail with the last few minutes that we have um, before I ask a couple of questions that I always ask. And that is, and, and again, I'll go ahead and do the disclaimer. If you need to say it, we can say it. We can put it up on the screen later if you want. But this is not meant to be legal or financial advice. Please seek you know, counsel from your associated professionals. Oh, that's good enough, George. But um, what I wanted to ask about was... <clears throat> a couple of tactical things around business and business finance and, and any notes that are relevant on the personal side, certainly share that, you know, your thoughts. One of the common questions that I get when I'm talking to a young and not necessarily age-wise, but a young business owner from the business being young is entity style and, and or entity type. And this is a question that, that I'm still trying to figure out in terms of my existing business. Do you have any, I mean, I know it depends, right? That's the, that's the truth of the matter is it depends. What is your perspective for most entrepreneurs who are in the advisorial or, or consulting space? Is there, um, I won't even ask you to pick one. What's your perspective on that and how to choose an entity type? Yeah, so the, the most common that I recommend that I utilize, just, just, an, just an LLC. Okay, so. so it gives you the protection that you need. It allows for, walk us through why. For you, why was an LLC the best choice? From a taxation standpoint, it's just a pass through from, okay. from a taxation. So there's not taxation at the corporate level mm -hmm. to start a C corporation. You'd be paying taxes twice. Mm -hmm. um, it's super easy to set up. It's very, very inexpensive. It's easier to maintain. It's the easiest um, corporate structure to maintain. And it does provide you with the essentially the same liability protection as other entities do. So from ease of use, um, taxation, those are those are the reasons that that I've chosen and that I recommend others do the same. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, good. Um, in terms of a, a cash flow standpoint, you know, on the personal side, we always hear make sure you have six to twelve months of reserves in an emergency fund and those types of things. In terms of business, are there correlating kinds of rules uh, that that a business owner should think about? applying, right? We, we know all these rules on the personal side, whether we follow them or not, it's a different question. But on the business side, I can only assume there are similar types of financial axioms or rules that are, you know, guidelines that are good to follow. Can you share one or two of those with us? Yeah. Yeah. And, and you hit the nail on the head. I used to tell people you should have three to six months worth of expenses saved up. This is just for personal. Now I say without question, six months, that's something that COVID really changed my mind about. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that that is financial security from a personal standpoint. And you're never going to get financial prosperity until you first reach financial security. So that's just such an important thing. So every business owner needs to have that. 
So have that in personal assets. And then for your business, that is so dependent on on what the nature of your business's cash flow is. Um, So that's kind of a a throwaway answer. But for for, for example, my cash flow is I I have very, very limited monthly expenses. I I don't have physical space. I don't have lots of employees. And so Mm -hmm. my overhead is pretty low. So I feel comfortable right now. I have, I do have over six months worth of my operating expenses in just cash accounts within the business. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be comfortable with way less than that. Right. So um, it's a combination of just understanding what your cash flow is, which is again, another advertisement for knowing exactly what your cash flow is mm-hmm. and being able to forecast and understand, okay, this is a number that I'm comfortable with. Understood. Understood. Uh, Quickly moving to the personal side. So we're talking about business owner operators for the most part at some point, maybe they want to move out of the operator role only into the owner role um, and uh, be, be an absentee owner as much as they want to be at least have the ability to do that. Um, Getting to that point in business and from a personal financial standpoint um, in terms of retirement savings, Knowing that, knowing the audience you're talking to, what kinds of recommendations would you make? You know, I've, I've heard people say that, uh, and I'm not asking you to come down on one side or another. I'm just, there's a lot of conflicting advice in the financial space, right? Uh, whole life is bad. Whole life is great. Uh, this investment is the worst investment you could possibly have. This investment is the best investment you could have, possibly have. Save at least 15% of your savings. No, if you really want to do it, save at least 30% of your, you know, 30% of your income. I, I'm not asking you to pinpoint specific things or, or pick a side necessarily, but how, how, how can someone decipher that? Or are there certain rules or guidelines that you might recommend people follow in terms of their own personal st- financial security and then their fin- getting to financial prosperity through their business? Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the bronze rule from my perspective is, is to diversify. Okay. So that takes a lot of different forms. But one of the things is, is just don't be too concentrated. So all your money should not be in your business anymore that all your money should be in Bitcoin or all your money should not be in real estate. You should have money in all of those things and as many different assets as you possibly can. Let me take a big step backwards. Mm-hmm. You need to figure out what it is you're going to do with your time. And if you're going to stop working, where are you going to get? what work gave to you because work gives you a lot. It gives you a place to go. It gives you something to think about. It takes you out of your family's hair. It just does a lot. It makes you feel important. It gives you self-respect and meaning. So beyond financial stuff, you need to figure out where you're going to get all the things that work gave you. If you're going to stop doing it Mm. and that's, that's a lot, but that's maybe one of the most important things that a piece of advice that I think I can give to anybody in terms of the amount of money that, that that's also it. It's like, okay, how much is the lifestyle that you want to have? How much is that going to cost? So for me, it's not, well, I want to have a million dollars in my 401k. That's, that, that's great. And that's a good goal. But how, how is that going to translate into actual income that's going to be there? Right. Later. So how do I create that? If it's real estate or if it's, you know, dividend stocks or if whatever it might be, that doesn't matter to me, but you need, we need to figure out how to then make that happen. Um, in terms of whole life insurance, I spent 10 years uh, with New York life. So I've sold all the whole life insurance. 
unless you are making $250,000 a year and all of your other retirement goals and objectives are funded or you're on track, you shouldn't buy whole life insurance. That's, that's, that's a nice rule of thumb right there. Um, so it's just, again, it's with, with whole life, you need to pay the premium Mm -hmm. and things happen. And I've seen way too many people have to lapse policies and they lose everything, not everything, but they lose the benefit that they had. So unless you are super financially secure and you have really predictable income, well, then don't buy whole life insurance. There are lots of different places you can put money, go buy Bitcoin, go buy mutual funds, go buy ETFs, go buy stocks, go buy gold, you know, certainly invest in real estate, put money back into your business, all of these things. And if you're doing all of those things, still got money left over, well, then you can buy a whole life policy. Gotcha. What's your people out there can certainly call or email me and I'm happy to talk about it. There you go. There you go. Um, (laughs) What's your perspective on, uh, uh, IRAs and 401ks. I mean, obviously that's the world that you, you work in a lot right now. Um, I, I mean, obviously people need to be funding these types of vehicles on a consistent basis. Maybe speak to, I might, that's my perspective. Speak, maybe speak to that a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I think that, uh, if all things being equal, if all my money in retirement was tax free, well then ra- I'd, I'd rather have that. Yeah. So that means utilizing the Roth style after-tax type investment. Mm-hmm. So if you're a high-income earner, you can't do a Roth IRA, but you can do a Roth 401k. And that means you can put this year, gosh, if you're over 50, like $26,000 a year into, um, into your Roth 401k. So that is a substantial amount of money. And that can all be done after tax. So that means once it's in there, it's going to grow tax deferred. When you take the money out, it's all coming out tax-free. I fail to see anything that is wrong with that. Um, yeah. So definitely do that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I mean, it's really just a math problem on Roth versus traditional, right? And Roth is almost always going to beat the traditional in terms of, in terms of it's basically you're just betting on is the tax rate going to go up or down, right? Uh, and then how much money you got, all that money grows in the meantime, there's tax burden on that if it's not Roth. So, okay, good, good, good insights. Listen, thank you for being willing to kind of go down the ground and, and talk talk details, at least give your perspective. Um, last two questions. One question is, and I think you've hit on a lot of these things, but top lessons learned personally or professionally. And this, this doesn't have to be financial, it can just be about life or humanity or business in general. But if you were going to elicit some wisdom to our listeners and viewers today, what, what lessons learned might you share? Yeah, I think it's as soon as you could figure out what work that you really want to be doing and start doing that. It took me probably 40 years to really figure out the work that I was interested in doing. Gotcha. And now I pursue that every day. I read uh, The Artist's Way. I read um, The War of Art. I read Going Pro or Turning Pro. Um, and I am a creative, but those books are for anybody who is entrepreneurial or anybody who is trying to birth an idea into the world. Yeah. So as soon as you can figure out, this is the work I want to do, this is how I want to do it, and then you can engage in that work, well, that's that's the key to a happy life right there. Good, good. I know that uh, folks who are listening or watching may want to get in touch with you. They may want to talk with you about 
maybe their business could use Money Alignment Academy, or maybe they have clients that could, or maybe they're interested in doing financial coaching or learning more about your work. Uh, if someone wants to enter into your world, what's the best way for them to, to do that? Obviously, you've got your podcast as well that they may want to listen to and subscribe to. So maybe give us the uh, give us the contact deeds there. So many different ways to uh, to immerse yourself in everything that 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 is me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you can find the Lifeblood Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. Money Alignment Academy is moneyalignmentacademy.com. And um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on social media. You can email me. It's george at moneyalignmentacademy.com and would be thrilled to connect with anybody. So. That's excellent. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Listen, thank you for being so generous with your time and expertise today. Um, I've got two pages of notes, all scribbles, uh, things stacked on top of other things, but very, very valuable. I really appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Scott. Very good. For Consulting with Authority, everyone, this is Scott Cantrell, as always, wishing you the best of success. Thank you for listening. I hope you got a ton of value out of this episode. And before we go, I want to thank the sponsor of our show, Smart Solutions Media. Smart Solutions Media empowers business owners, consultants, and other independent professionals to easily attract better prospects and transform them into long-term clients. If you're a B2B consultant or service professional and would like to start filling your pipeline with better quality prospects, visit us on the web at smartsolutionsmedia.com to learn more about what we can do to help you. Be sure to complete this short two-minute accelerated growth scorecard you can find on the website and you'll receive a complimentary strategy session where we'll give you specific insights and recommendations to help you attract high value clients. Until next time, make sure you are consulting with authority.